So a show of hands for anyone who's seen the Great British Baking Show. Is that anyone in the queue? Yeah, okay. It's a, it's a family favorite of ours. I think it airs on PBS, but we always watch it on Netflix. It's a contest uh, trying to find Britain's best amateur bakers. And so every week on the show, there's a new theme, uh, a new uh, set of challenges, and another person gets eliminated. Uh, one week might be sponges, which are cakes. Um, another, week, another week might be biscuits, which are really cookies. Um, and the rest of the weeks, it's just various puddings, and pudding apparently is a synonym for dessert. But they also bake bread. Brioche, ciabatta, baguette, breads with yeast, breads without yeast. You can tell I'm all about this show. This show. Uh, but bread week in the show is always a big deal. Bread week is a big test. It's almost kind of a make it or break it kind of thing. It, it's, it's hard to imagine that you would do poorly on bread week and then still be able to do well in the rest of the competition. This week, we're moving to chapter 6 in John's Gospel, and it's our own version of Bread Week. Jesus gives a big test. And this test, just like Bread Week on the baking show, will be a strong indication of how his followers will do in the future. So let me ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. John 6, verses 1 through 15. This is the very Word of God. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. 
Oh, Father, would you come in these moments and would you help us? Would you help us to see what the big deal about this bread is and the one who caused its increase? And would you help us this morning to pass the test that Jesus has put before us? Would you help us to see Jesus? Would you help us to be satisfied in him? Would you help us to see our own resources and see how they are woefully lacking? Would you do all of this for your glory, that Christ might be exalted, and that you, through your grace and your mercy, might do good to us, your people? We ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only one of Jesus' miracles that all four gospel writers include. Sometimes John doesn't include in his gospel things that are amply covered in the other gospels. He tends to focus on lesser known things. But he's not going to pass up this one. He's going to make sure to include this one even though the other gospels all have it as well. Because this miracle sheds so much light on who Jesus is. As such, it's, it's a sign. We've talked about that before. That these signs, and if you're counting, some people like to count the signs that John has. And he has seven signs in his gospel. Well, this is number five. These signs, these miraculous works that reveal Jesus' true identity. And this sign in today's passage is huge. And it's witnessed, verse 2, by a huge crowd. The, the, the veil is being pulled back a bit on Jesus' true identity. And there's a massive amount of people on hand to see it. Now, before we dive into bread week and see this test that Jesus has for his followers, we need to set the stage a bit. I've already mentioned the huge crowd. That's part of it. But verse 4 is important too. It's, it's almost time for Passover. Now that's not just a throwaway remark. That's not just filler. John mentions it because it factors in. Passover, this annual feast <coughs> commanded by God. You will do this every year to remember how once you were enslaved by a great enemy, how you were set free by miraculous means as you took refuge under the blood of a lamb. You'll remember how you were led out by a great leader, how you crossed over, and how eventually you were led to the promised land. You shall observe this feast every year. It's a big deal for you to remember how God rescued you. John tells us it's Passover time. Rescue ought to be on folks' minds. Perhaps the timing of Passover also contributes to how big this crowd is. All those that have come toward Jerusalem for the great feast. And Jesus sees this crowd approaching and he knows that this is the perfect opportunity to give a pop quiz, if you will, a test. 
Verse 5, Philip, where can we buy bread so this crowd can eat? And, and John tells us, of course, that he was never intending that they would buy bread. This is only a test. Right? But what is it a test of? What's Jesus getting at here? I see at least three questions on this test that Jesus is issuing. So class, if you will take out your papers in number one to three, or just follow along in the outline in the worship folder. Three questions there on this test. Question one, are your resources sufficient? Jesus issues this test because he wants his followers to come to the realization that their resources, their human earthly resources are woefully inadequate for the situation they find themselves in. And so this question is pretty easy to answer, right? Philip starts off in verse 7. Feeding this crowd would take a boatload of money that we don't have. Even if we had 200 denarii, which we don't, that wouldn't buy a bite for each person in the crowd. 200 denarii is roughly the wages that one man would earn in a whole year. So buying bread, well, that ain't going to happen. Cash on hand is insufficient. Andrew, in verse 9, has a similar answer. He's taken inventory. He's searched. He's asked around. He's gathered up all the resources he could find. Five loaves and two fish. And if you're thinking big crusty baguettes and nice big fish of some size to them, think again, because these are barley loaves, which is common food of the poor during the time. And they were probably more along the lines of biscuits, our biscuits, not cookies, and, or hoe cakes, something like that. And those fish, probably little pickled fish, that you'd eat with almost as a side dish along with your meal, certainly not a meal in and of itself. Well, this is the grand total of the available resources. And Andrew's assessment of what he has gathered is pretty accurate. <laughs> what are these for so many? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Until, of course, Jesus shows his strength, demonstrates his power, which he always does in the context of our insufficiency into our great need and our great inability to do anything about our great need here comes Jesus this is his specialty so that's the first question on Jesus test question two is Jesus powerful do they think Jesus is able to do something about this situation. This is a lot of people. Things could get out of hand, especially if the crowd gets hungry and there's no food. Can Jesus somehow supply enough bread? But this question can really be asked another way. Is Jesus the promised prophet? Because that's what many of them are thinking. That's on the brain. And we see that by the end of the passage, that that's what they've been thinking this whole time. Is he the prophet? Moses promised a long time ago, you can turn to Deuteronomy 18 sometime later and read about that. Moses promised a long time ago another prophet was coming. And so they'd been waiting now for quite a while. 
Could Jesus be the one? And let me just say that Jesus knows how to take advantage of the right situation, the right time, the right circumstances. Because this whole episode just screams that he is the promised prophet on a number of levels. One is the way that he works this sign, whereby he takes a small amount of food, passes it out, and somehow, miraculously, it becomes enough. Any halfway observant Jew there that day would be thinking, Elisha. This is just like what Elisha did. Second Kings 4, striking resemblance. Being in verse 42, a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, so again these small cakes if you will, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? Meaning, this isn't nearly enough to feed them. So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Wow. That's striking. It's easy to see how some folks there would have seen this resemblance, would be thinking, oh, this very well might be the prophet. <laughs> he just did something exactly like the prophet Elisha did. But we also need to consider another of God's prophets, Moses. Because remember, it's around the time of Passover. So God led his people out of Egypt, but they got hungry pretty quick. Actually, they got hangry, right? So hungry that you're angry? That, that's what happened to the Jews. They got hangry. They were grumbling. They were complaining. You brought us out here so we could die of starvation. It would have been better to stay back in Egypt in slavery. But the Lord was gracious and through Moses provides manna, provides manna. And the manna itself was a test. That was bread week in the wilderness, if you will. Would they trust the Lord? Would they trust him to continue to provide for them day by day? Because the instruction, you'll remember, was gather just enough for today. If you gather any more, it'll go bad. But of course, there's always that guy who says, well, it might not happen again tomorrow. I better be safe and gather a little bit more today. And so the next morning, of course, it's full of worms and it stank. But this whole thing that day on the mountainside with Jesus, it just smacks of Moses with God's people in the wilderness. Moses, the mediator between God and his people, overseeing this whole deal with the manna, which was their bread, feeding thousands upon thousands. 
folks are witnessing this. They're, they're a part of it that day, and they're definitely thinking, oh, yeah, he's powerful. <laughs> oh, he's able, all right. Indeed, verse 14, he's the prophet. We have concluded he's the prophet. But that leads to the third question on this test. Perhaps the most important question of all, are you satisfied? Now, there's something important here uh, about being full, uh, about being satisfied, about having your hunger fully addressed. Verse 11 says they had as much as they wanted. Verse 12 uh, comments about how they had eaten their fill. So Jesus doesn't just provide enough to get them by, right, to hold them over to their next meal. This is no snack. This is all you can eat before American gluttony even invented the concept, right? And I guarantee you the majority of folks there that day, this was the first time in a long time they had eaten as much as they wanted, that they had eaten their fill. Jesus is doing something here. What is it about these leftovers? Jesus is concerned about the leftovers. Gather them up. Don't lose anything. And I don't think it's the actual crumbs of bread that he's concerned about losing. I think he's concerned about the disciples losing and missing the point of what he's doing. This is something new. This is abundance. This is over the top. Because when all is said and done, 12 baskets full of food. Now, 12 is definitely significant here. Now, exactly how it's significant, you'll find a whole lot of discussion and many different suggestions. I think it is at least significant Because there are 12 disciples there that day, and so having 12 baskets full of leftovers means that each one of those 12 disciples has a basket in his hands that he is staring at, jaw dropped wide open, dumbstruck at what the Lord has just done. They ended up that day with way more than they even started with. Jesus is indeed the promised prophet. But as such, he's way more than any prophet they'd ever known. See, Moses was used of God to help provide the manna. That was great. But you couldn't gather any leftovers. Certainly not 12 baskets full. No, what Jesus is doing here, what he's doing with this super abundance and wanting the crowd that day to be satisfied to have this deep sense of satisfaction he wants them to look to him as the one who can ultimately satisfy now this gets fleshed out a lot more later in chapter six and i don't want to steal that thunder completely but let me give you a little tease of what's coming Moses was a great prophet, used by God to provide bread for the people. Jesus is an infinitely greater prophet. He didn't merely provide bread. He came to be bread. 
for God's people. Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life. This is what Jesus is showing them. And this is what, so far, they're failing to see. They're failing this test. Did you ever have that math teacher that made you show your work to get credit for the answer? You you could have the right answer on the test, but if you didn't show your work, or if your work for how you got to that answer was incorrect, well, then you didn't get credit. Like, I know the answer is 25, but if I can't work it out and show her how I got 25, I'm not getting any points. That's a little bit like verse 14 and 15, I think. The crowd knows the right answer. Jesus is the prophet. They got the answer right, but they had worked it out all wrong. Let's force him to be king today. Now, why is, why is that failing the test? Well, remember, it's Passover. And so God's rescue is supposed to be on the brain, and, and to a certain extent, it is. In a sense, they're, they're remembering God's rescue. But they had misapplied all their remembrance of God's past rescue. And their hope for future rescue, well, they had misapplied it by fixating on current rescue. Over time, scholars tell us that Passover took on a very zealous and nationalistic tone. It it was the Jewish equivalent of a very hyped-up July 4th celebration for us. Still focused on rescue, but it was rescue from our current enemy, Rome, and their occupation of our land. That was the sole enemy the people sought rescue from. Not their great enemies of sin and death. We need this promised prophet to come and save us from these leaders that we don't like. From this earthly, temporal situation we find ourselves in. We see something in you, Jesus. We think you're the one. We think you can fix our problem, and we're going to force you to do it now. But, of course, Jesus knew that would be disaster. The crowd was large enough that day, especially if you count women and children. They might very well have succeeded if there had been an uprising. And that would have ruined the gospel. How would, the, how would he then go on to die for his people as a perfect sacrifice? The crowd that day was impressed with Jesus. They thought he was the answer to their biggest problem. Now I want you to see the parallel here between bread and satisfaction. Later in chapter 6, Jesus will go on to rebuke the crowd. He'll say, guys, all you wanted was a full belly. That's all you wanted. 
But what you most desperately need to hunger for is me. It's me. I alone can satisfy your deepest need. I alone can defeat your greatest enemies. And so I want to ask you this morning, what about, what about you? How can you pass this test instead of failing along with them? What's your hunger? What's your biggest problem? What is it that you desperately want to see Jesus fix? Is, is it your marriage? Is it your health? Maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it's your finances. You're thinking, gosh, if Jesus would just fix this, oh, then I'd be satisfied. Oh, then life would be okay. Y'all, if that's how we approach Jesus, then we fail the test too. Just like the crowd that day. Trying to force him to fix it. No, what we need to do is realize that our biggest problem, our greatest enemy is nothing external. It's nothing happening to us from the outside. It's our rebellion and sin and the death that deserves that is in us. At our very core, realizing that is the first part of passing the test. Second part would be realizing what we asked in question one, that we have woefully insufficient resources to address that problem. Now, if if we think for a moment that we're powerful enough to defeat our enemies, or if we think that we're somehow good enough, better than the next guy, and that might somehow make up for our sin and our rebellion, Y'all, that's like having five little biscuits and two sardines to feed 5,000 people. It ain't happening. But as soon as we realize how insufficient our resources are, we're able to see by God's grace, Christ all-sufficient, superabundant, over-the-top provision for us. That part of his becoming bread for us was his perfect life of obedience. Never once did he rebel. Never once did he want his own way over the Father's way. His perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, his body like bread being broken for us. He's the lamb under whose blood we take refuge. And when we do that, we find amazing, super abundant satisfaction Sometimes in earthly things, always in eternal things. Because we have Him and we're satisfied in Him forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, by your grace, may we pass this test that Jesus sets before his followers. May we all see the the bankruptcy of our resources. How terribly too small they are. And Father, may we 
see too the types of satisfaction we've been looking for that aren't the real satisfaction we need in Jesus who is our bread. Lord, where we've been fixated on earthly things, temporary things, would you impress upon our hearts the greatest, deepest need that we all have? Would you pull back the veil so that we can see Jesus so clearly as bread, as our all-satisfying one, that we look to him and to him alone, and that in having him, we would find that we have it all. Grant that by your grace this morning, we pray, in his name and for his sake. Amen.